It's so good to see everyone. I can see so many screens. It's so good to see. I'm just going to take a second to shout out to a few people. So good to see you there, Barbara. So good to see Alexandra and family there. Baptist was really nervous. You were going to all be in your pajamas, but I can reassure him you're all dressed so nicely. So good to see everyone. Dennis, so good to see you. Michelle, oh man, wonderful guys. I'm so excited to be doing this again. It's like each week it feels like um, this is building and so, uh, yeah, it's about time for us to jump into this uh, meeting. We can, um, it's about time for us to jump into this message. And the bottom line is, here we are. This is 2021. We're about to launch a new preaching series through the book of uh, Genesis, chapter 1 to 3. We've never faced a moment like this one before in our lives, have we? This is totally new to all of us. In fact, we said last week, it feels a little bit like we're living in a sci-fi movie, right? We're living in a sci-fi movie. It's real all around us. And for many of us, we've faced loss and we've experienced great pain and massive uncertainty. And all of our plans were brought to naught, right? For many of us, this has been a time of disorientation, a time whereby we've lost our bearings, where we've started to ask the big questions of life, the big questions of God. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing if you look at our culture as human beings. We, we always used to be so sure of God uh, throughout history, so sure of God, through, so, so sure of our worldview, and so uncertain of ourselves. And it seems these days we're, we've never been more sure of ourselves and what we want and what we desire, but we've never been so unsure about God and our worldview. And the result has been... Uh, I think rampant insecurity, the result has been massive vulnerability and anxiousness that pervades so much of our culture and our thinking. And this pandemic has further kind of exploded this anxiousness all over. And so we as leaders decided it's time to go back to the source, back to the source of where our worldview comes from, of where all of these questions are are answered in the scriptures. And and we want to we want to go back to Genesis 1 to 3 to help us navigate both this moment of uh, COVID 2021, but at the same time to help us navigate and reorientate the rest of our lives as we locate ourselves in God's great grand story. You know, it's so easy in a, in a storm like this to kind of to feel like the big story of life is my story. But actually, your story is a very small part that fits into God's great story of what he's been doing throughout history and into the future. And when we locate ourselves in that moment, we get a perspective by which to go about life and face these big moments. Hey, just worth saying, um, if you're not a Christ follower and you're joining us today, I know this is a great platform to invite friends. And so there may well be some of you. This is a wonderful series to be able to go on a journey with us as we work out uh, the answer to these big questions. As I said, seven weeks, origins. First three chapters of Genesis, we're going to answer questions like, who is God? And what is this God like? We're going to answer questions like, who are we as human beings? And, and what is our role in this world? What is this life all about for us? We're going to answer questions like, um, like what is wrong with our world? As we explore suffering in the form of evil and death. And we're going to look at how it's all going to be fixed as we see God undertaking to put this world to right, just in the first three chapters of the Bible. I mean, isn't that just glorious? So today, as we kind of set up the series, I'm doing a bit of an intro, uh, we're going to ask, ask one question. And the answer, the question we're going to answer today is, how did we get here? How did we get here? And we're going to look at one verse. In fact, it's the first verse of the Bible. In in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, on the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, 1968, as the 
the first mission to Mars, circumnavigate, uh, orbited, not Mars, sorry, the moon, uh, orbited around the moon. They looked back on this great blue planet and they read these very words out. The mission Apollo 8, they read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'd love to pray for us as we have this question in our minds. How did we get here? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you spoke first into the darkness of our lives and that you would illuminate life. And we ask today that you would do that, God, as we grapple with this great question, how did we get here? God, would you speak to us, please? Would you reassure us of the truth? Would you speak to us powerfully? We ask, God, that today you would enlarge our hearts. You would fill us with awe. And you would give us courage, God, and fresh perspective to face this moment. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, are we doing all right there? There's been a lot of scrambling going on around here. Can you see me? Are the lights okay? Can we just leave the lights and just get into the scriptures here a little bit? Thank you so much, guys, for all that you've been doing in the background here. Let's jump into it. Okay. Ten words. Hey, just ten words. These ten words answer the most important questions of all of life. The question, how did we get here? Quite simply, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, says that the universe had a beginning. There was a time when the universe was not. And then something happened. There was a moment which triggered something and then things were. And what this scripture says to us is that it was God who's who's the one behind this moment. It was God who began the universe. Now, I know in Christian circles, there's much debate around how God did it and how long it took, right? But, but if, you, if you look at Genesis, which is what we're going to do, and we're going to stick to what Genesis is doing, you see that Genesis is far more concerned with the who than the how. And so we're going to be camping on the who of this universe, on the who of the scriptures. In fact, this verse says to us, uh, in the beginning, God, the Hebrew word Elohim, Elohim. And, and what's interesting about the way it's used here is it's recorded in its plural form. And I don't think, as I've read commentaries on this, that it's recorded in its plural form as a way of referring to the Trinity as much as it's used as literary device to, to speak about this great, grand, it's the plural because he's so amazing, the supreme majesty of God is what the writer is trying to, trying to tell us. In the beginning, the supreme, majestic God created the universe. He wants us to know that God is large, that God is in charge, that he is the one who began the entirety of everything that is. He is unrivaled and he is sovereign over all, the plural form of Elohim. The heavens and the earth. Did you see that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is declared as the autonomous creator of the totality of of the universe. There is nothing outside of the scope of our God. From as close and as wonderful as Table Mountain to the far reaches of the Crab Nebula galaxy, God is over it all. There is nothing that is not under his care. There's one more further whisper in here. 
to a God who created everything with a plan. The word beginning, this word that we see in the scriptures beginning is used regularly through the Old Testament, but more often than not, it's the first of a pair of words. Beginning is beginning coupled with its counterpart end. Beginning and end, beginning and end, beginning and end. Throughout the Old Testament, that's how, it, that's how it's used. And so the original, original listeners, the original readers, they would, have, they would have had this association, commentators tell us, in the back of their minds. And so for the original here is this association in the beginning with an end in mind. God created, not the end of the world, as the song by R.E.M. goes, you know, not that end, but the goal, the trajectory, the plan. And so what we have when we put this together, Genesis 1 verse 1 is God is this majestic, supreme, sovereign God of the entirety of the universe. And he began this world with a plan in mind for what he wanted to do. Beautiful, hey? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But let's stop for a second and let's ask the question, if not God, then what? If not God, I mean, how many other options are there, right? And I want to spend some time exploring the other alternatives. Let's just, let's just add some conviction and some weight to this great truth that the Scriptures talk about us here. Andrew Wilson, I'm going to draw from heavily here. Andrew Wilson, having studied and researched this extensively, he concludes that throughout the world there are only three options as to how we came to be here. There are only three major beliefs around where we come from, and they are this. They are blind luck. We came to be here through blind luck. The second option is the multiverse. And the third one is divine design, right? Which is what Genesis 1 verse 1 is advocating for. And so let's explore these. Number one, a stroke of luck, right? Uh, it, it, it didn't necessarily have to happen. Um, it was just a stroke of luck. It might not have happened, but we're so glad that it did. Uh, you, you, you might uh, find someone, maybe you're watching or you know someone and you ask them, how did we come to be here? And your answer would be, or their answer would be, I don't know, it was just a stroke of luck. Uh, I want to I ask this question to you, though, if that's you. You go, uh, well, just how lucky? Just how lucky would we have to be? And I want to suggest to you, way too lucky to be realistically possible. Scientists tell us that for our universe to be possible, right? Not, not just human beings, for our universe to be possible. I'm talking not about plants and penguins and people. I'm talking just stars and planets and galaxies, right? We haven't even got down into the nuance and subtlety of these small things. I'm talking the big stuff of the universe. In order for it to, this to be possible, there are 15 different constants, uh, that need to be true. 15 different independent constants that need to be perfectly fine-tuned. Now, a constant, please just give me a little bit of science this morning. Uh, a constant is just a fancy word for a number that has to stay the same. It cannot change. If it goes up, if one of these 15 constants goes up by even just a little bit, it's the end of the world, right? And so we need these things to stay the same. So Francis Collins, who's a Christ follower, outspoken, who was head of the Human Genome Project that mapped DNA, he says this. We read together, When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew that we were coming. It looks as if we knew, it knew that we were coming. There are 15 constants, of which uh, the force of gravity is one. He lists them all. I'm not going to bore you with them all there. That have to have precise values. If any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, and in some instances, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come into being, could not have come to the point where we see it. 
Matter would not have been able to coalesce, to come together. And there would have been no galaxy, no stars, no planets, and no people. Fifteen different independent constants. Okay, what does that mean? Let's put it together in an illustration that we can understand. Imagine in front of me now there are fifteen different roulette wheels, right? Fifteen roulette wheels. A normal roulette wheel, guys, has got fifty on. For those of you who haven't seen one in a long time, good of you. Uh, fifty different numbers, fifty different options that that ball could land in, right? And... Um, these, 50, these 15 roulette wheels that in front of you and I have got a million, right? So there are a million different options. And so you walk up, you're feeling lucky, you give it a massive pull on, on roulette wheel number one, you pull it and it spins around, going around, going, click, 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 click. Boom! You hit it. It, it, it. I mean, it's exactly the right number for life. Of all the million options, it lands in exactly the right one. I mean, can you imagine? This is amazing. One click to the left, end of the world. Right? One in a million clicks to the right, end of the world. But you pulled it. It landed in the exact right number. Now you walk up to roulette wheel number two. Right? The same story. You pull it, lands exactly the right number. Roll it wheel number three. Roll it wheel number 14. You have got a winning streak of one in a million, 14 times you have hit it. And you get to number 15, right? And you pull that roulette wheel, you're feeling lucky with everything you've got. It roars around as that ball bounces around. It lands, tick, 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 boom, in the right, tick, oh, in the wrong. It's the end of the world. The bottom line is if all 14 in a million are right and the last one misses, the universe does not exist. I mean, it is just way too lucky to be realistic. To say that luck is the source of everything without external force is just, I think I don't have enough faith for that. Dr. John Polkinghorne, he's a quantum physicist, he said it like this. One more illustration. For us to be possible requires a balance between the effects of expansion and contraction, pulling and pushing, which at the very early epoch in the universe's history, the Planck time, has to differ from equality by not more than 1 in 10 to the power of 60. Right. Now, here's how you know how good you are with numbers. He says this. For the, the, the numerate will marvel at such a degree of accuracy. So here's the question. Did you marvel? Or did you go, oh, what does that really mean? You know? For the non-numerate, of which, which is where I find myself, right? For the non-numerate, I will borrow an illustration from Paul Davis of what that accuracy means. He points out that it is the same as aiming at a target an inch wide on the other side of the observable universe, 20,000 million light years away, one inch, and hitting the mark. That's the chance of luck. Bottom line is, when you look at our universe, there's more going on here than luck. And so our second option that Wilson points us to is option two, if not God, then the multiverse, right? The multiverse is the idea that there are billions, maybe even trillions of different universes out there. And each of these universes have different properties, none of which can sustain life. We just happen to be in the only universe where life is possible, right? And all the others don't support life. Now, 
I'm not going to go into this in extensive detail because I'm going to bore you with science and because I just don't have the brain to be able to do it. But you may well have friends who uh, believe this and, and this is where they land. And so I want to point you to two fantastic resources. The first one is um, by Professor Anthony Flew. Before Richard Dawkins came along, Professor Anthony Flew was the most famous atheist in the world who argued against faith, right? That's what he did. He was the Richard Dawkins uh, a few years before Richard Dawkins. And until he had a radical conversion and believed and began to believe in God, right? And he wrote this book um, about how he changed his mind and came to believe in God. And he speaks and engages about the multiverse in this book. And then the other one is a book by Professor Keith Ward, who's a philosopher, a, pro- a professor of philosophy at King's College London and professor of divinity at Oxford. He wrote about why there almost certainly is a God. And he engages with the multiverse. If you know someone, just take a screenshot of that right now and uh, you can engage with them all. But the bottom line is just touch on it for a minute. Is it possible that there are billions or trillions of other universes out there? Uh, It's difficult to prove, isn't it? I mean, it's possible, but it's very difficult to prove that it's not true. I mean, say I was to say to you, prove to me there's no unicorns. You say, well, Luke, I've never seen a unicorn. No one's ever seen a unicorn. I say, well, what if they're invisible? It's very difficult to prove a negative, right? It's very difficult to prove a negative. When you look at our world, a world that is perfectly fine-tuned for life, you can conclude a parallel universe or you can conclude um, design. Those are your two options. Philosopher John Leslie, he says this, Imagine you were standing in front of a firing squad. There's a hundred trained marksmen standing in front of you. You've been sentenced. And uh, you're standing there with your blindfold on. And you hear them say, ready, aim, fire. There's a great noise that goes off. And then you feel, and and you're, you're still there, right? You're still there. Now you could conclude, he says in that moment, that there were billions of other executions happening in that particular moment in the world. And you just happened to be in the right one where all hundred expert marksmen missed, right? Or you would probably more reasonably conclude that there was some work of intelligence behind it, right? That somebody bribed the gods or somebody fed them alcohol or did something to get in the way of their aim, right? Because there's no way that just happens by accident. It just looks like there's design at work here, which brings us to our third option is that of a creator, of a designer. Generally, when we see intricate design and fit for purpose, right? When we see these two things, intricate design and fit for purpose, we conclude designer. For example, if you walked out of your driveway right now, you you left your living room, you went to your road, and outside your front door, there was a Toyota Hilux. Just imagine with me. It's, It's possible the three options, luck, that there was an explosion in a nearby steel factory, and that explosion led to the coalescing of plastic and metal and glass and fabric, and it coalesced together in such a way as to form a Toyota Hilux. That's luck. The multiverse would say that in the same moment, there are billions of explosions in steel factories all around the world, and you just happen to walk outside the right house where a perfectly formed Toyota Hilux landed, right? Or, more reasonably, you'd conclude that um, somebody took some great time and care to design that and put together the fabric in the right place and the plastic in the right place and paint it in such a way and and attach the glass in such a way and then someone drove it and parked it outside your house. It just makes sense. The more you look at it, that design 
is the best option. Even non-Christians think so. Francis Crick, who discovered, very, very clever human being, he discovered the double helix structure of DNA. He said that we exist here because aliens came however many years ago and filled the earth with spores of human beings. And so then we grew up. It does, though, beg the question, who made the aliens? Hey? Um, or uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, who agrees, he speculates that we're here probably as a result of a superhuman designer. In fact, Richard Dawkins puts it like this. He says, you could persuade me that there was a creator who designed everything. But this is incompatible with a God who cares about your sin, what you do with your genitals, and what you think about. Translation, I wouldn't have a problem with God if God didn't have a problem with me or my sin. What I'm getting at is, ultimately, none of these things can be proven. Whichever side you stand on, we all have to take a logical, reasonable step of faith. And these things are not settled by science and logic alone. All of us must take this leap of faith. And I put to you today, the most logical step, the one to go for, is that of a creator. So let's ask the question. Given that our world was brought about by a creator, as Genesis 1 verse 1 uh, says to us, just by observing our world, what can we know about this creator? What could we know about him? Number one, at the very least, just by observing the heavens and the earth, because of the sheer size of the universe, we're talking about a creator with unimaginable power and unimaginable energy, right? Power and energy beyond what you and I can comprehend. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull start a, um, a, a motor at the back of a rubber duck or to pull start a lawnmower, one of those petri- petrol ones, right? That's difficult enough. But imagine trying to kickstart a universe, right? I know it's a silly analogy, but just hear what I'm saying. Imagine the power and the, and the sheer energy required to launch the universe into being. This is what we're talking about before this God. It should inspire in us a humility. Next, I'd say because of the scale and the level of complexity of the universe in which we find ourselves in, this creator would have an intelligence so far beyond our human understanding. And whatever we do in terms of science, we should do so humbly because we're before a far superior designing intellect. And lastly, Maybe you say this is a stretch, but I I find this makes so much sense to me. Beyond the size, beyond the complexity of our universe, just by looking in a detailed way, it points to a a creator with, at very least, creativity and an appreciation of beauty. In the micro level, in the small details, and zoomed out into the macro as well. There is, there is a creator with a sense of creativity and a sense and an appreciation of beauty, which begins to point to personality. In all honesty, what is the appropriate response to a God like this? If, we're, if you're not a Christ follower, uh, if, or, or maybe put it this way, if this is all you could know about God, we would be quivering in our boots before such an incredible being, if that was all we could know about him. And probably we'd need some form of mediator between him and us because of the great gap that there is, which is where the Christian God seems to make so much sense to me. If you've got friends who are grappling with these things and maybe would say, yeah, I think there's a God, but what can we really know of him? I'd love to just point you to two resources. 
These two books here, one Simply Christian by N.T. Wright, and the second one, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis's book was written um, decades and decades ago. It's still outstanding, uh, but recently publishers came to Tom Wright or N.T. Wright and asked him to do for the 21st century what C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity did for the 20th century. I'd encourage you to start with Simply Christian and then move on to Mere Christianity. They're outstanding books as these... Amazing intellects grappled and found their way to God. But if I can take a second to speak to us as Christ followers, what is the appropriate response to a God like this for for those of us who are Christ followers, who believe Genesis 1 verse 1? And I want to bring it back to three letters, one word. It's awe. It's awe before in the beginning Elohim, plural, created the totality of what is with an end in mind. It's awe. How's your awe quotient doing? How's your awe quotient? How your awe levels? You see, it's so easy in a storm like COVID, isn't it? To have life kind of shrunk down to the minutiae, to the small, to just as far as I can see and just of what I'm aware of what's going on. And we, the result is a kind of terribly insecure place. We start to think of life with a scarcity mindset. And as we read Genesis 1 verse 1, as we think about what it must have been like as those astronauts orbited the moon and looked back and saw our world and read that scripture, this God is supreme. He is sovereign. He is large and in charge. And our hearts are filled with awe. Paul Tripp says this, God created an awesome world. God intentionally loaded the world with amazing things to leave you astounded. The carefully air-conditioned termite mound in Africa, the tart crunchiness of an apple, the explosion of thunder, the beauty of an orchid, the independent systems of the human body, the inexhaustible pounding of the ocean waves, and thousands of other created sights and sounds and touches and tastes. God designed all to be Awesome, not in the sense of how you're doing, I'm doing awesome. No, genuine awesomeness. And he intended you to be daily amazed. So aware as I've thought of my own life and how I've engaged with so many of us, how all levels in a moment like COVID, as these kind of battles go on and the storm rages on around us, how easy it is to think of uh, COVID 2021 as the entirety, the whole story. What I've hoped to do today as we've looked at Genesis 1 verse 1 is to call us to zoom back to the great story of the whole world, to see the Creator God behind everything into the past and everything into the future and how great and glorious He truly is. So as our hearts would start to enlarge again, as much as... uh, our world would have us live everything based on the next News 24 article and the next progress report on how we're we doing, or even the sonar that we've just gone through. I want to say to us, there's another script, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean those others don't exist. It's just we need to have our lives informed by this great and glorious God. And so I want to call us today, it's so easy to lose sight of what's most important. Let's lift our eyes Let's see God for who he truly is, our great, glorious 
God. The storm will pass. That's the thing about storms. Just like the rain that's falling today. It will pass. Tomorrow probably the rain will be gone. But God will be here. The same. Yesterday, today, forever. And therein is your security. Therein is your security in the midst of vulnerability, in the midst of a world of anxieties. Therein is your safety. Therein is the truth that bolsters your soul. And every time you walk out and you allow yourself to take in the majesty of who he is, allow your heart to expand with amazement, allow awe to come in and to fuel the way in which you go about life. And I can guarantee you, this COVID moment starts to look different when awe of God is at the center. So let's lift our gaze, guys. Let's lift our sights. Let's look out for where we can see God. Maybe let me land with this question. What are you going to do this week to recover your amazement and your awe of God? What, what, what are you going to do this week to recover your sense of awe and amazement with God? Maybe it's switching off something. Maybe it's just taking a break from some of the things you've been reading and listening to. Maybe it's dialing back from some of the frenzy of social media and all that's being said and dialing up uh, the voice of God and the perspective of God. I'm not too sure. You take a second. Won't you take a second before we pray? What are you going to do this week to cause your heart to be amazed with who God is again, to see this creator God for who he is? Let's, let's land in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is the source of unimaginable power and unimaginable energy. And my little brain needs to stay so humble because I cannot begin to fathom the power that must have begun our universe. Power that is yours is part of who you are. Thank you so much for the incredible intellect that's just so beyond my ability to understand that conceptualized set things into motion that not only created but sustains everything that is my security god i just want to declare it right now doesn't rest in my intellect and my ability to understand it but in yours knowing who you are and lastly god thank you so much this extraordinary creativity and beauty that you put not only into our world, but you put into us as Christ followers too, into us as human beings. I pray for us as a church, Lord Jesus, as social media, as uh, news feeds. God, even in our own hearts, as these kind of voices tend to try and monopolize our thinking and, and, and overcrowd and, and crowd out every other thing else, God. God, this week... As we reflect on you, the great sovereign creator God, you would cause awe to come to our hearts, amazement at who you are, that would be able to give us a renewed perspective to not put our heads in the sand in this moment, but just see this immediate moment in the context of the ultimate plan and to therein find our security, that we would be a people marked not by anxiety, God, and anxiousness, but a people marked by security because we know that in the beginning, you, God, created the totality of everything that is. 
We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.